The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up tonight on the program, it is our BDSM night or our kink night. We'll have Pierre, Catherine, Dane, and Gary in studio, all kinksters, all practicing uh, some form of BDSM or another, and we'll ask them how they define kink. Uh, But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. You can always send me your emails to laurie at drlaurie.com. I'm a morning person, resex, and my husband goes to work extremely early, 3 a.m. What do we do? Anybody have any options for that? I really don't know how to answer that question, except that hopefully there are days when he's not working, and uh, it might be on the weekend or maybe on the Sunday, and once a week, maybe you get it when you want it, but otherwise... You have to make do, like some things we cannot change, like our work schedules and what have you. Does that mean that you can't enjoy sex at other times of the day? You probably do. So it may not be your ultimate. It may not be your most preferred uh, time, but you've got to, you got to do with what you got. Like that is just the life philosophy, like work around these issues uh, and find some kind of uh, of compromise to make sure that you connect at some point. So find a time when you are uh, both relaxed and where you uh, can connect, make sure that you plan it and you make a date for it if you have to. That's, that's all that you can do. And I'm sure there are people listening who's uh, who have different schedules with their partners and how do you make it work i know that uh, you know i have to plan it's, it's all in the planning it, there's no other way <laughs> there's no other way when you have very different schedules sometimes you can do little surprise things sometimes you can do an afternoon quickie whatever it is whatever works but it has to fit in uh, and you have to you have to make time for it but it may not be at the time necessarily that is the ultimate time for you. So we can have preferences, but sometimes, you know, it it just doesn't work out that way. Um, I feel my vagina is ugly. How can I make it look nice? Uh, This pains me when I uh, get emails like this, because frankly, this is based on a lack of education about vulvas, because no two women's vulvas look alike. We are all unique, just like our noses may be unique. Um, the one area that women seem to have the most anxiety about, though, is the, their labia. But labia can be symmetrical, could be asymmetrical, can range in size, can vary in texture, can range in color, like, and they are all part of normal. So when you say, I want to make it look nice, what does that mean? I want to make it look like the porn star is nice? Like, is that the ultimate uh, vulva? Is the, the porn the porn star vulva, the cookie cutter vulva? Um, we have to learn to accept ourselves as well. And maybe you need to take a mirror, have a good look at yourself, and learn to love this part of your body 
just like you learn to love every other part of your body, because we need to embrace what we have been given. I mean, unless it's causing you a particular um, a physical problem, because there are some women who have, for example, very large uh, labia, menorah, the small, the small lips, that are, that protrude a lot, and it it actually causes pain. It can cause pain with intercourse. It can cause pain wearing tight clothes. In a situation like that, there's a medical reason for it. But simply because you think it doesn't look nice, um, maybe you have to change your definition of what nice is. Um, and if you become like self-conscious about your genitals, you're sabotaging your sexual confidence and you're sabotaging your uh, sex life. Your vulva, your vagina can give you great pleasure and purpose and you need to accept that and love that. And surgery to fix, make it, to beautify it, whatever that means, Usually that means cutting away the uh, protruding uh, lips is really what we talk about when we talk about that kind of surgery. That surgery can lead to scarring. It can lead to decreased sensation. It has its, it has its own set of uh, problems. And it's not about what your vagina looks like or your vulva looks like that defines who you are as a woman. Um, it's how you think and feel about yourself as a woman that defines your sexuality, not your vulva that defines your sexuality. So embrace, get comfortable, get secure, and remember you're beautiful. They're all beautiful in their own way. It's not about one, not, what's a nice one versus what's an ugly one. Maybe you have different thoughts. 514-800, if you want to text in the beginning of every show, I answer uh, your questions about love, sex, and lips. Uh, here's another uh, vagina question. Will my vagina look different after I have a baby, and will it mean less satisfying sex? Of course, vaginal changes will occur with labor and delivery. Just think of what is happening at that moment, okay? Um, so yes, completely normal for the vagina to stretch and to stretch a lot uh, during a vaginal uh, delivery. But the vaginal tissues are amazing. They are extremely resilient because they are elastic in nature. They bounce back like an elastic does. The, uh, the part that is that you need to be concerned about is the healing process. It takes time to heal following a vaginal uh, delivery. And the time it takes depends on many factors. What was the size of the baby? How long did you uh, push for? How, um, how did the tissues heal after uh, a, a laceration or an episiotomy, for example? We all can heal in different ways. So you can... Uh, help with this process by doing regular Kegel exercises, which are uh, uh, tightening and releasing of the uh, vaginal muscle. You can do this regularly. And women it can benefit from this because after a delivery also, there's um, 
those same muscles are responsible for, like if you sneeze, you pee a little. Uh, so those muscles help with that when you, uh, when you contract and release those muscles and you uh, strengthen your pelvic floor because that's what, what that's about. But you've got to still give yourself like six to eight weeks of uh, recovery time for that whole traumatic experience. I'm talking about the trauma to your, uh, to your genitals. And then there's absolutely no reason why it should affect your, uh, sexual relationship. You can go back to it as it was before. And, uh, some people you wouldn't, couldn't even tell they had a baby before. For others, it might stretch a little bit more, but do those exercises and you'll find it, um, you'll find it helpful. Coming up, we've got our BDSM kink alternative sexuality panel. So if you have questions about any particular fetish, kink, uh, BDSM, anything of that nature, you can text us here at 514-800 and we'll ask our, uh, our guests, um, how, what is the uh, connection, first of all, between body modification and BDSM and how do they, uh, define kink? From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. One of my favorite nights uh, of the month here where I get to learn a lot. Uh, it is our kink panel or alternative sexuality panel. We have Pierre and Catherine of BDSM Circle. Dot com. They've been around the block uh, in, the, in the BDSM world, if I can say. Uh, and then we have a couple of younger ones in the studio. Uh, Dane Stewart is here. He's an advocate for the human pup community. He's an artist. He's the founder of Talking Dog Productions. Uh, .ca. And Gary Major, who is a longtime kingster, into body modification. I wish you could see him tattooed from literally from head to toe uh, and works at Mr. Bear, which is a fetish store in uh, in the village, so you get to talk to lots of uh, BDSM practitioners, I guess. Oh, absolutely, kinksters, yes, okay. Yes. And what? So, like, what does a kink store have? Like, walk us through the store. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, every store is different, of course. Uh, certain stores cater to certain markets and certain people. Uh, our store specifically uh, uh, mostly caters to the bear and pup community. So, the majority of our uh, our fetish gear is made from uh, extra small to 4X. So we make Whoa. everything available in the store for anyone to purchase. So if you come in and you like a T-shirt, that shirt is going to be available in your size. Uh, we also make everything in the store. We're an atelier as well as a store. So alterations, everything can be done. But for the most part, in our store, we do carry uh, a lot geared towards the puppy community. It's become a very popular community, especially in Montreal. The, pu- the human pup the human pup community, community okay. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've we've really opened up our market to that. But we also carry uh, polymorph latex and we also carry like oxball toys. Um, but the majority of, of what we do deal with is is our in-home brands of neoprene, leather and fashion. Wow. Just This is just an indication of how popular kink actually is when you can sustain a business. Multiple businesses too. And multiple businesses in this area mm-hmm. over the long term. So that tells you something, right? Mm-hmm. Right there. You talked about the bear community. Can you describe <laughs> that a bit? Well, bear community is is really, I mean, it started out as, as being larger, hairy gay men. Uh, okay. And- Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Except that you're not a gay man. <laughs> 
No, but, but as well, but as well, it's also expanded now. Right. The bear community is also expanded to not just being gay and not just being big and not just being fully hairy. There's different versions. There's mm-hmm. otters and this and that and all that. So it's I don't it's, know when you say this and that and all that. I have no idea what you're saying, Gary. <laughs> well, really, <laughs> it, it has expanded so much so that it can include everyone. The right. bear community was one of those communities that off that that was a shoot off from the standard mainstream gay community that didn't see themselves being represented and didn't see themselves being. Uh, accepted so they created their own community now that community has now blossomed because it's become popular and more mainstream so now everyone is kind of included in the bear community so uh, how do things go mainstream like how do we get from once viewing kink as something that was uh uh perverted or not perverted Mm. is not the right word but but really on the fringe to something that is now um really quite quite mainstream in many ways how do how is can anybody talk about that movement internet the internet yeah wonderful (laughs) when i'm i'm you know we'll just say not really young and when i started to it like there wasn't the internet Mm -mm. and you can find each other and it's communities and it's 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 a lot easier to practice well you know for some things you need a partner right uh when you can actually communicate and find each other and easily now mm-hmm. easily and so I, I mean i think the internet and and the just being able to, it to being out there mm-hmm. has is what's done it well certainly i i'm going to attest to that simply because i've been in the biz for 30 years so pre-internet started in sex therapy and way back then we had people coming in with specific kinks, not knowing and and wondering, am I am I normal? What's wrong with me? I can't. I, is, am I the only one in the world like this? Mm-hmm. There was nobody to talk to. Yep. Nobody to talk to, and I don't see anybody anymore. Hardly anybody. Well, when with we start, kinks. when we started the website twenty years ago, that was basically the the, the question that was asked. You know, for, to to us, I, am I crazy that to have this type of feeling? Am I uh, am I nuts that? Uh, Right. Uh, we would really assure people saying, no, you're not. There's community, but it was, I mean. But it was slow oh, and growing. Sorry, the guilt oh. of rape fantasies, which is a really common fantasy for, for many, many women. And it's not that they really want to be raped, but to not realize that there's other people out there that have that. And this is a common, normal right. thing. Right. It it reduced a lot of anxieties, I think sexual anxieties mm-hmm. that I would see. Mm-hmm. So now our business has expanded to other things that we do, but <laughs> but that was one area that, you know, a sex therapists used to see a lot of and we we just don't. We just don't anymore. So I find that interesting. I also find it interesting that you started your website BDSM Circle 20 years ago. Well, like yeah. right on the cusp, right? It's like when when things started to get more more and more popular. Of course, now in the last 10 years, so many more communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody just asked the, the human what? Uh, uh, yeah, we need to say the human pup, like puppies. Yes. Maybe, Dane, you can just give us a couple of, I know you do this all the time, but we sometimes have new listeners that want to know, what is a human pup? 
Do you know what? It's funny because we I give this definition every time that we come in, but it's so nice this month that we have Gary here to say there's a whole store dedicated to this community in the village. It's a real thing. There's <laughs> come many on people. You feel validated. I, do, I feel very validated. So human pup play is uh, when a person takes on the role of a puppy. Uh, to some degree in their their sexual relationships. So for a lot of people, it might be just uh, one-on-one role play in the bedroom with their partner, where sometimes they like to get it down on all fours and and bark because they get off on that humiliation or that power exchange. For other people, uh, it's a bit more of a community, a social dynamic. You'll see that a bit more at the the store, Mr. Bear, where Gary works, um, where you see puppies go in, they they try on these uh, hoods, these masks that that are very Mm. popular, and they'll hang out in, in packs or or groups uh, and it really creates this social dynamic this community that you don't get elsewhere um, so it really can vary from person to person but uh, it's this very uh, exploratory playful uh, sort of kink dynamic mm-hmm. that uh, has emerged and become really popular in the last uh, five ten years and yes and I've met quite a few people actually in, in the pop community who are you know they work in in all kinds of different fields uh legal banking like it, it whatever it, it has nothing to do with mm-hmm. you know any like that kind of thing like you 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 we i think we tend to have a picture of what does a person like that look like and what but it could be anybody yeah you probably know one of them <laughs> you listener out there. i mean and i mean that goes that goes across the board for any kink like you never know what goes on in people's bedrooms, bedrooms like, right you know unless you're intimate with them you never know what they like to wear under their clothing right that's the voice of gary major who's a longtime kinkster we have dane stewart in studio an advocate for the human pup puppy community he's an artist as well and pierre and Catherine of uh, bdsmcircle.com who have uh uh, been uh, practicing uh, uh, kinksters for decades, <laughs> decades, yeah, I mean decades, right? <laughs> decades without aging you, right? Thank you. Right. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk about too is the definition of kink now. And I was asking you, like, we talked about how it went mainstream. Of course, the internet had a lot to do with it. There must be other influences too that have changed either the way we define it or either media. celebrities, media, like... Uh, in your experience, or in, in if you look at it historically, if you will, what what do you think other influences have been to bring this to the mainstream? Well, I before when we were talking about the internet, obviously that's a, a huge part of it. But I was also thinking about the history of representation and activism, mm-hmm. especially in the the gay queer communities. Um, if we look back through the the AIDS crisis of the eighties and nineties, you know uh, the LGBTQ plus community didn't have any choice except to stand up and say, you know these are it, it's our right to have the kind of sex that we want to have and it's our right to have the support of our government and our healthcare mm-hmm. infrastructure in order to do that uh, simply because so many people in the community were dying um, and so if we look back at that at that time period we can see all these voices these people emerging who say that this sexual like choice in sex is something that we are entitled to um, and I think that's something that uh, no. has influenced uh, how we explore and how we see kink today, and it has influenced the entire community at large. Not mm-hmm. it's it might have started in the gay community, like when we started looking at people wearing leather and all of that. We associated it with you know mm-hmm. 
okay. gay bars and, and what have you, and that extended far you, you, beyond You may that. be interested to know that when I start to look at the history of King for the heterosexual people, mm -hmm. I usually end up at the, in the gay uh, the, uh, history because everything started there. They were the first people that were adventurous enough or uh, with enough uh, courage to, to get out and show people what they were. And community. And And community, and I think uh, we we have to thank gay people so that the king community, the heterosexual community, can get out because they did it for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was also too like a, a lot of what stem what what helped push kink as well was the AIDS crisis. Uh, you know, when AIDS started, it, when 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 it's when it was discovered and when it was really linked to being uh, transmitted through sex and through blood and things like that, kink became more popular because there's not a lot of sex going on in kink. Uh, when you're flogging someone, you're not penetrating them. Mm -hmm. There's no sex. There's no fluids. Mm -hmm. When you're, you know, uh, interacting with your puppy, you're interacting in a kink way that can be sexual but doesn't have to be a penetrative fluid exchange sex. Uh, so kink became much more popular in those times because they didn't have huh. to worry about a, a fluid exchange. Interesting all, so. perspective, actually. Mm. Really interesting. It, I mean, that's that, that's how I got into I it. I think it's no, okay. Yeah. That makes the 90s a was lot a, of a sense. Huge opener for me. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> you look so young, though. Mm. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, we've got the range, the range of ages. Pierre and Catherine of BDSM Circle, Dane Stewart and Gary Major in studio with us tonight talking about kink, alternative sexuality. How would you, the listener, define kink in your words at 514-800? The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Alternative sexuality once a month. We focus on this, and uh, in studio with us, Gary Major. He's a longtime kinkster into body modification, tattooing, works at Mr. Bear, a fetish store in the village. So he gets to talk to lots of people in the uh, in the community, in, in the BDSM community as well. Uh, Dane Stewart is here. He's an advocate for the human pup community. He's an artist, founder of Talking Dog Productions, and Pierre and Catherine of BDSM Circle. So I've got a lot of uh, questions here, actually, that I want to get to before I ask your definition. Uh, I am 53-year-old gay man. I used to be fit, but the past six years I've been under a lot of stress, gained about 50 pounds. I was set up on a date. The guy was crazy for bears, but I'm trying to lose weight to be more healthy. The guy confessed that if I lost weight, he would not be attracted to me, which I found odd as I am making a healthy choice. Is his feelings that of an extreme degree of attraction? So how do you explain that? Well, yes. I mean, like, like any, that would be a kink. There's a lot of people that, that, that do fetishize like weight gaining or weight loss. Right. Uh, and fetishize the bigger you get, the more sexier you get, mm -hmm. or the thinner you get, the more sexier you get. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's an unfortunate thing. It's just, he's not a fit for you. If you want to right. be healthy, if you're making the choice to lose weight and to be healthy with your, your own lifestyle, then that is your choice to make, of course he has that choice to no longer be attracted to you as well. Right. It's an unfortunate thing, but certain but people aren't made for certain people. Right. So. And that's well, his, okay. his attraction. And he says, this is what he needs. Yeah. And then he's being vocal about this is, and you have to applaud that. Like he, he could, you know, just lie about it and say, no, you're still sexy, honey. And be right. playing on the side. And right. Risking. And as Catherine would say, 
he may just be wired for that. So it's mm -hmm. not like he can just change that. You know, everybody has a preference. Yeah. Everybody. Some men like big boobs or, you know, the, like, well, there's a preference, a and, or, or, but yeah. hold on. There's a difference to me between a preference, which means, yeah, I, I prefer that, but I'm okay with, you know, with whatever. And a kink, which m might be a little more, uh, hardwired in, meaning Absolutely. that it's almost like a must. Yeah. There's well, a difference when some are musts and some are preferences. Would you, would you call the kink if someone, um, want not necessarily skinny people, but, uh, weight to height, to proportion, proportion, mm -hmm. you know, would you call that a kink? If someone, you know, I don't would. like people over size, you know, 18 or whatever they're, they're. Yeah, I would, yes, I, I would, would call I, that you kink. would call that a king. I would I call would, that a absolutely. preference, really. But I would call it a king. I would call it a kink, and I'm going to put this as politely as possible. I would call it a kink if it got your penis hard. Mm -hmm. If a thin person got your penis hard and a thick person didn't, then that's a kink to me. Okay. If you can get hard on both those people, but you prefer someone that's smaller, then I don't see it as a kink. Right. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting Personally, way to defi define that's kink. Well, I'm asking personal, how yeah. you define it that's too, right? So that would be a, a way to uh, to define it. The way that when I define in my world, it's when something is uh, where you cannot get aroused mm -hmm. unless that's there, mm -hmm. whatever that there is. Mm -hmm. But isn't that a fetish? That's yeah. a fetish. Okay, right. talking about a kink? Is that the same thing? Well, okay, there we go. We're going to talk, again, <laughs> redefining what's the difference between a fetish and a kink. Like, what in the community, is there a difference? I don't think so. I think it's words. To me, it's just words. Like, okay. my fetish and my kink is Would pretty be interchangeable much interchangeable. Yeah. Right. Fetish well, is more professional sounding to me, whereas right. kink is more dirty. Well, and I, right. I think maybe you could make a distinction between kink being an action and fetish being like an object. Uh, so kink mm, being a, a preference for true. a specific activity. You know, you're into being spanked, you're into being flogged, whatever, versus a fetish being I'm into leather, I'm into rubber. But I think, again, it's, uh, you know, we're pulling at, at strings, pulling at threads. Pulling at threads. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what the... But, but I would agree radio. with you, Dave, on this, because for me, kink and the fetish is not the same thing. I've got fetishes, but my kink is BDSM. So you have particular fetishes, but the yeah. kink is BDSM. Yeah, it it can be a little uh, confusing. All right, a couple of questions. Would human puppies and furries be considered similar, or are they cliques that would take offense at being grouped together? Uh, for sure, they're considered similar. I mean, it's people taking on sort of anthropomorphized animalistic roles to a certain degree. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the furry community, uh, this is, a, yeah, it's people will take on uh, sort of an identity uh, of uh uh, an animal it doesn't necessarily have to be a real animal like you could be a, a dragon or like a made-up like animal a yeah. made-up mm -hmm. animal um, but it's much more broad than the puppy community where you're specifically a puppy okay. um they, but do they inter like is there they, an intermingling they do yeah so okay. we host like i host a a pup night uh, once a month here in montreal uh, we have a lot of human pups but we do have a couple furries who come to that space as well uh we'll hang out um and interact with each other so we definitely get along okay. I, it just goes to show you the community how many different communities where we're hearing furries pups bear like there's many many different communities oh absolutely of different kinks Kinks. fetishes i don't even know anymore <laughs> what do we call it now I, I don't know um are there any 
uh, introductory BDSM get-togethers and or parties held by the community in Montreal. This person wants to know. Anybody? Well. well, You used to hold these there, yes, things. There's, if you go through different websites like Fat Life and that, what you do is you start going to Munches, which is like a... Um, a very non-threatening, non-sexual meeting of, of like-minded people at a restaurant. And you kind of go from there. You start to get to know people and you go from there. Okay. And also, I mean, Facebook now, too. There, you can yeah, pretty much type exactly. in anything on Facebook and come up with a group locally or broadly that you can, uh, Actually, you can then go, go into meet up. It's still part of their word where you have problem to get in. Well, it all depends on what words you're using. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what it does is they'll, they'll shut down your, your, the group when they get, I think, to about like 200 or something. Yeah, well, this is what happened yeah. to us. So, but they're always popping up, and it's still, you know, just Google it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like Dane hosts a, a very popular uh, Facebook page, Wolf MTL, uh, that has, m- like, oh, I think we're almost at 500 members oh, at I this point. I think we're over 500. Over 500 mm-hmm. members and is going strong. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a resource if you are looking for uh, right. a puppy. So I guess what Pierre, puppies. you were saying is like if you started a group that said BDSM Montreal, that may not, that may get shut down. It will get shut it down. Will. But like Catherine was saying, yeah, Google it and there's always something that you can do. Right. The thing though is to remember what you're going to see in public is not necessarily uh, what's something that could be safe or uh, considered? Uh, You're there, always the voice of reason, Pierre. I have. You're no always choice. the one who brings up the safety issues. Which, I have uh, no choice because yeah. it, it could be dangerous if somebody do something and they don't know what they're doing. Right, um, especially when it comes to the bondage stuff. S and M bondage, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Use uh, common sense, even if you're horny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Uh, this texture says, I'm curious to know whether or not your guests would say that BDSM practices and play have evolved at all since its relatively taboo days. And if so, in what ways and what can essentially be, be considered new and or revolutionary in the field exactly? Well, I mean, uh, everything does evolve. Uh, and usually it's it's products, uh, availability of, of, of information, uh, and availability of, of practitioners. So the more you know, the better you get, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And then stores pop up that will provide products and the products get better and your availability to those products gets easier. And so that's probably the easiest and the most prevalent thing that's happened since the beginning. Used right. to, It used to be you'd have to find a catalog from your older brother <laughs> down the street and right. hope that you're ordering something that even remotely looks like that. Now you, you do that through Wish. Because there uh, weren't stores. Yeah, there yeah, weren't. Yeah, there weren't stores. You had to look. Everything was from scratch. And now, I mean, Never. you type in anything that you're looking for on the Internet and you can find millions of stores that are carrying it. The only Millions, thing that has evolved, and I'm not sure it, it will be the right word, is the type of relationship seems to, to have gone from long-term relationship to more adventure, one-night stand type of thing. And, of course, me and Catherine were kind of more with, you know, hoping to have long-term relationship. Well, you've this been is, in a long-term relationship. This is what we mm-hmm. like, but I think right now the market is more for adventure. Would you agree, uh Gary? Yeah, I think so. I think like because people are able to explore more easily because it is so easy having those like I want to try this kind of experiences as opposed to I'm going to commit myself to a lifelong, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to get collared to someone and be a part of their relationship for the rest of my life in order to learn all the things I want or to all, achieve all these fetishes that I want to get into. Now it's you can go to a bar, you can go to a website, you can go to a munch, you can go to an event, meet someone that's into that kink, go home with them for the night, see if you like it. And if you like it, then you can explore it more. And if you don't, oh, well, you move on. Mm. Whereas that wasn't as, something that was easy to do because it was very difficult to find right. it, like uh, educated professionals. And I guess that's where the difference went from being like to, to being l much less taboo because it's out there. Like yeah. something's not taboo if there's a, a bunch of stores you know advertising well, just, products and, just turn on your tv i mean no or yeah. the tv yeah. yeah lots uh lots more to talk about with pierre catherine dane and uh, gary here on our alternative sexuality night straight talk that's all inclusive passion with dr Lori. news talk radio cjad 800 Joining us tonight on our Alternative Sexuality Kink Night is Pierre and Catherine of BDSMCircle.com, Dane Stewart, an advocate for the human pop community and an artist and founder of Talking Dog Productions, and Gary Major, who is a longtime kinkster into body modification, works at Mr. Bear, a fetish store in the village. So we talked about the things that have evolved, the, the, the taboo, the tabooness of stuff and everything. But the issue of... Consent is one that has evolved in the community at large, everybody. Mm -hmm. How have you noticed changes in the BDSM community? Because consent is always a really big issue, like a, a very important component mm -hmm. of that, right? And I mean, if you look at the gay male community historically, uh, being gay was something that you you weren't supposed to talk about. You weren't allowed to talk about. Right. So a lot of uh, sexual interactions between men, if we look back at uh, at bars and clubs through the 60s and 70s, were communicated non-verbally. You know, you didn't actually have this negotiation, say, this is what I want to do. Didn't you have a handkerchief hanging out of your pocket? Exactly. Or okay. Yeah. yeah, there was uh, what is called the hanky code. So gay men would have a, han a handkerchief in either the right or left pocket, right indicating, you know, the receiver or the submissive, left indicating the, the giver or the dominant, and then the colors would indicate the activity that you were into. No way. So, mm -hmm. you know, oh, yellow yeah. be meaning you're into uh, uh, water sports or mm -hmm. urine, mm -hmm. uh, red being fisting, uh, et, cetera, et cetera. So all the fetishes, like they were specific mm -hmm. or kinks but or even whatever. But even just specifics too, like you look at it, uh, like uh, dark blue is just, uh, is just sex. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's you know this the same kind of thing. So this, it wasn't specifically just fetishes; it was always just kind of what you were looking for for the night, right? Uh, but a lot of them huh. are very much hardcore fetishes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how did that? So then there it was not. So there was no talking about consent. Uh, there was definitely less talking about right. consent, and I mean we've seen in the last ten years uh, huge, huge conversations across all of society about negotiating and communicating about uh, sexual interactions, and that's definitely permeated. I mean, I've sort of entered the kink community in the last ten years, and my entire experience has been uh, I, through this lens of negotiation and communication. Mm -hmm. All of my interactions are really, uh, really talked. About. Well, it's interesting because studies have looked at the psychological uh, makeup. Of of couples who are into kink and, and uh, BSM individuals. And what they have found is that they're far better at communicating. Mm -hmm. So that is part of it because there's a must to communicate about consent. Well, I think as well in, in, in BDSM couples, we're less uh, afraid the other one is going to like 
like be mad or be upset or 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 judge us mm-hmm. so all conversations are easy to have because or easier i should say not easy like not completely easy but easier to have because you've already developed that trust through uh through the conversations that you've had through consent through you know exploring yourself through opening yourself up to your you know deepest darkest secrets to another person can pretty much just open everything up so mm-hmm. the conversations make it much easier and and so there's less you know there's less everything there's less anger you know misunderstandings, misunderstandings mm-hmm. everything i think the issue of trust is also a big one like trust consent within within the these um kink relationships where because you're doing things that could potentially be uh dangerous mm-hmm. and all of that that you you really have to be able to talk openly oh, about what you want, what you need, how to stop, when to sit, you know, all of that stuff, where your limits are. Uh, whereas most people have a hard time, like, just negotiating simple things like, oh, I like this. Like, mm-hmm. I like to be touched this way. Forget the kink. Forget mm-hmm. any of that other stuff, right? Yeah. It's more about expressing that. And how many times <laughs> I hear fears from people about saying, oh, I, I would love, you know, a little rougher, but I don't know how to how to say that. I don't know how to ask for that. I don't want to turn my partner off. I don't want, but these are the kinds of things that get negotiated beforehand. Mm -hmm. So it's about knowing oneself. Yeah. It's like when you come into a relationship open and when you come into a relationship honest, there's really nothing else you have to like, there's, there's very little uh, like, like deep, dark secrets or skeletons because you're, you're already giving what you, a lot of times what you already consider to be your big secret uh, into that relationship. So the rest of it tends to become a little bit more easy. Catherine? I I find uh, one of the things is is I found that in the community, most people, um, it's only like in the last 10 years or so that you hear about renegotiation. Mm -hmm. And because the whole thing is like, you know, we've talked. I know what you like. You know what I like. This is okay. That's not okay. That's it. And in reality... You know, stuff changes. Mm-hmm. Your your tastes evolve. What how how far you want to go? What you like? Your and um, people change. And pardon me. People change. Yes, and so renegotiation is something that I think is is now better understood and and evolved. It's, it'll be like you know that wasn't the deal. It's like well, yeah, but that's what it is now. And that's... that you say that, but that's the same in in all relationships because all sexuality. A lot of people go into uh, relationships, even if they're just vanilla heterosexual mm-hmm. relationships, mm-hmm. thinking, "Hey, when we got together, uh, we had sex, you know, five times a week." And look, look, ten years later, like, what's going on? Like, wasn't well, that the deal? Yeah, but don't we change? And and you know, more like seven years, isn't it? It's a seven year itch, more or less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But or- the thing is, in long term relationships, your body changes, your needs change. Um, I've known quite a few people who have come into an understanding of their uh, BDSM, like of wanting to be either submissive or dominant later on, only discovered it later, like into their marriage and, you know, coming to kind of understand more about their sexuality and what turns them on. So that has to be renegotiated within that same marriage. Absolutely. But I think that also, I think like the discovering of yourself in a marriage usually happens because you're in a marriage or in a relationship that started out being open and honest to begin with. So you're not afraid 
to explore more and to renegotiate and to to kind of figure that out. So I think it, it all stems from kind of the same kind of thing, coming into but, it open. But even, often we don't, though. That's like yeah. I, in my practice, I will see, oh, for example, uh, somebody divulging a fetish that they've kept secret and the partner they're with 20 years later says, then I don't know who I'm married. Like, I don't know who you are. Like, I, I never knew this about you. How could you keep this really, really important thing from me? And it could be very destructive to the relationship. Mm-hmm. When, But that's because of the whole taboo nature of the whole thing for all these years that they couldn't go into the relationship with the fetish, right? Sure. Saying, look, this is part of who I am. Um, I hope you're okay with that, you know, and this is how I express it and this is what I need. And if you're okay with that, then we could, you know, continue. But, but finding out much later, that changes things. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. Right. In relationships. So any last words? (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll go. All right. Tell us where Mr. Bear is exactly. Well, (laughs) Mr. Bear is actually in the gay village. Uh, It's in the heart of the gay village at uh, 1336 St. Catherine East. Right around Uh, the corner from us then. Right around the corner. (laughs) Uh, We, uh, we've been open since May uh, and uh, thriving business open to pretty much anybody that want to walks in, walks in the door. We, uh, we uh, welcome any customers, uh, male, female, non-gender, gender, non-conforming. And go go meet Gary because just for that is the thrill. I am there five days a week. (laughs) (laughs) You can't miss him. He's really full of tattoos can't miss them uh dane stewart where can people get more information about the pup community uh if you want to learn more about the pup community check out our group on facebook woof mtl all right wonderful and of course pierre and Catherine can be found at bdsmcircle.com uh thank you guys all so much for being here really appreciate it Always fun having you. Yeah, goes fast, and it was always learn something new. Uh, Thank you to Dave Simon, our technical producer, and thanks to all of you for your texts and for listening to us. Uh, Remember, you can send me emails uh, in between shows. All good. Uh, You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Just letting you know, I will be out of town for the next couple of days. Paris Mansouri will be sitting in for me, uh, but I will be back by uh, next uh, Wednesday evening. So have a great rest of the night, a wonderful week ahead, at least for me. And remember to live your life with passion.